I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi guys, I'm John Weeks from Plant Based Face Off, the Instagram page all about trying new plant-based food alternatives. I try, compare and rate the latest food in the vegan world and let you know which is best. I'm talking everything from burgers to cheese to chocolate. Check me out on Insta at Plant Based Face Off. Now though, it's time for this week's podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello everybody, welcome. We are here once again for another edition of The Contest in Me. With me, Rob, and fear not everybody, I am no longer flying solo. After a week away, he's rested, he's recovered, he's back with me. James, how are you feeling? So much better. I assure you, I am so glad, and you should be very glad that I was not with you last week. I was very, very under the weather. I'm now well and truly above the weather. Are we going to make that a phrase? I'm, I'm sure we are. But so glad to be back with you to uh, to chat about another wonderful conversation uh, with another well-known Eurovision superfan. Before we get to that, are the toilet roll stocks <laughs> restocked? We did discuss beforehand. Let's not discuss why I was ill or what was happening. Let's just say I had food poisoning and uh, and leave it at that. I think people can paint their own picture <laughs> there, can't they? Anyway, he's back. It's fine. He's back. Uh, and as James has said, it is time to bring you another Eurovision superfan on this week's The Contest of Me. We have already spoken to Steve Rosenberg. Oh, James, by the way, what an interview that was last week. Definitely my favourite moment uh, doing stuff for the Eurotrip over the last year. Without a doubt, that was one of my absolute highlights. What a man, so genuine, so lovely, and so many great stories that honestly I didn't think I would have ever heard well if you haven't heard it listen back find it in the podcast feed because as James said it is a brilliant chat and also episode one with Paddy O'Connell of course the BBC's uh, semi-final commentator for so many years that was a great chat and we are back with another today and we'll tell you who in just a sec 
You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip, the contest and me. Another week, another episode of the contest and me from us here at the Eurotrip podcast. Fear not the Eurotrip, as you have come to expect it over, I was going to say over the years, over the year singular. Uh, it's been about a year since we launched this here podcast. We'll return very shortly and we'll start building up properly to Italy, wherever that may be. 2022, uh, before we started recording, uh, me and James were Googling how far each of the potential candidate cities' international airports were from the city centre. Which is essential research for any Eurovision fan. And as we know, as we all know, of course, by the official rules, it must be within 90 minutes of the venue. So we're very excited to find out which city it's going to be. We think it's down to three now unofficially at least anyway. But can I just quickly say, it's great to be back. We mentioned it earlier on, I was off last week. Thankfully, you still heard my voice chatting to Steve Rosenberg. But from what I know, Rob, it's a, it's a great treat for us that you're here because from what I know, you were dribbling all over a dentist's floor earlier on today. Yeah, I was indeed dribbling all over a dentist's floor. I had a filling, which is a situation that many of you listening will have found yourself in, although apparently not James, because he's got perfect teeth, as he was so keen to tell me earlier on. Uh, yeah, so I had a filling. Felt a bit sorry for myself. Uh, you will know if you've had a filling, they have to numb part of your mouth. Um, yeah, it wasn't pretty when the dentist at the end of the whole thing said, um, if you want to, you can just swallow your mouth out there and just pop it in that sink. Very much missed the sink entirely, didn't I? Because my aim was a little bit off. Thankfully, my next appointment there isn't for another six months. So I'm hoping they'll have forgot who I am by that point. (laughs) Oh, wow. Anyway, talking about the podcast again, we do have to tell everyone who is joining us this week. But shall we just quickly do some tweets and some messages about last week's episode, which was, of course, with the BBC's Moscow correspondent, the wonderful Steve Rosenberg. As I mentioned earlier on, that is has got to be my favourite moment of the Eurotrip since we launched last August. Can I just say, that's quite a claim, because you have spoken to some pretty pretty exciting people. Yes, I know. We Hold been... on a second. I've just realised, this means that you're ranking Steve Rosenberg above Mr. We're Good To Go himself. Yes, I realised. As soon as you said you were talking to some very exciting people, that was the first one who came to mind. And I really hope Martin Osterdahl never hears me say that he is actually number two on the list of my favourites. Well, we're not getting that interview again, are we? <laughs> I was hoping that we might get him on again in the future. But if he's heard that, which he's bound to of, um, he's not coming back. No, avid listener until right now is Martin Osterdahl. But Steve Rosenberg got such a great reaction online. Uh, Callum got in touch to say, this is the most enjoyable interview I've heard on uh, the Eurotrip over the past 12 months. Uh, Steve Rosenberg is polite, engaging, eloquent and full of Eurovision stories. He really is full of those Eurovision stories as well. We heard some great ones. The one about uh, hosting the national final in Russia is just extraordinary. Yeah, that was ridiculous. My favourite one was one of the other videos that we popped up on social, uh, as you listeners will realise, because I did mention that we might be in a difficult situation last week where I had to make the videos and it would look like I'd hammered something together on paint. <laughs> Thankfully, James was well enough to make the videos and pop them on Twitter. Uh, the two videos that are on there that you can have a look at on At Your Trip Podcast are Steve Rosenberg talking about hosting the Russian national final and my favourite story, uh, which is about communist Karl, a man from Estonia who built a satellite dish purely so he could watch the Eurovision Song Contest in secret. Unbelievable. Absolutely remarkable. It just shows, doesn't it, the lengths people go or had to go, or maybe some do have to still go just to follow the contest uh, they know and love so much. Um, 
on Twitter as well. Alan got in touch. Thanks, Alan. He said, great episode. Clearly, Steve knows his stuff. Really, really does. That knowledge that man has is incredible. And Jamie as well. Thanks for getting in touch, Jamie. He said, really enjoyed this episode. And Steve Rosenberg mentions Joy Fleming too. Hope she can make it into one of his future medleys. Of course, he plays all the, uh, about 300 songs, I think he says he can play. Uh, 300 Eurovision songs on the piano, which is approximately 300 more than I can. Can you play an instrument? I could play the piano. I used to be able to play uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the piano. Arguably of higher musical integrity than a lot of songs that have been to Eurovision. <laughs> yes, yes. Can you play uh, Can you play an instrument? I have you down as somebody who could, at one point, play something from the woodwind section of the orchestra. A woodwind, not so much. Although I seem to remember uh, I used to enjoy getting out of the music box at school. Uh, a harp. A harp? Well, it just looked quite exciting, because while everyone else was, you know, puffing away on a flute or something, I thought, I'll get my hands on a harp, and it must have sounded awful, but I had a nice time. Wow, what was your favourite song to play on the harp? Oh, there was no, there were no specific songs. Whatever your fingers plucked at. I'm an artist. I, I have to be creative. I don't, I don't stick to the social norms of playing somebody else's song. Wow. I'm just more in awe at the fact that you had... A harp in your primary school? Primary school, I'm guessing, was it? Or Primary school, yeah, yeah, primary school. Just a commoner garden primary school as well, not one of those fancy ones. Not one where you have to wear a blazer. Wasn't even one of them. Wow. Wow, I think we just had a box of communal recorders that you just hope that somebody cleaned once in a while. It's not very COVID safe, is it, the uh, <laughs> box of communal recorders? <laughs> Thank God that's not now. Or maybe it is. Maybe they're about to burn the boxes of communal recorders in primary schools up and down the land. God, I hope they've changed the communal recorder since I was last at primary school. Blame me. I don't know if they're still knocking around. God, doesn't bear thinking about. Wow. Maybe in a museum. <laughs> Somehow we've got a seg from that to one of the other questions I asked you listening at home when I was doing the podcast solo last week, which is something I've always been fascinated about. Where do you listen to the podcast? And I'm still interested. So please do get in touch with your answers to where do you listen to the podcast? Uh, we'll give you the details in a sec. Because Sophie and Michael have both been in touch with this one. Uh, Sophie said, you asked where do you listen to the pod? Well, this morning, I listened to this week's episode on the way to work. Happened to pull into the car park while Steve was talking about the Wombles. And now I've been annoying everyone at work singing the Wombling song. Great episode. Honestly, after editing last week's episode... I had the Wombling song in my head for days. I think I woke up at about 3am in a cold sweat, just with overground, underground. Honestly, I just couldn't get away from it. Uh, and one of our favourite listeners, Michael in New York. We think, I think you're in New York, Michael. That's my memory. You might be in a different part of America. Michael in America is probably, probably safer. Uh, he says, where do I listen? Pretty much everywhere. I normally just listen to the podcast on the train, uh, but yours is so, sorry. I normally just listen to podcasts on the train, but yours is so good. I put it on at home, in bed, on the couch. Right now, it's three fifty a.m. I'm on my roof with my breakfast. What do you mean you're on your roof? Does he mean he's on his roof? <laughs> at what times? Three fifty a.m. Sorry, eight fifty. Did I say three fifty? Eight fifty. You did. Yes. On his roof. He must have a terrace. <laughs> must do. I hope so. Not clinging to Damn. the clinging to the gusser while <laughs> having his earpods in. I don't know. 
Wow, astonishing. Uh, but nonetheless, thanks uh, to you, uh, Sophie and Michael, uh, both getting in touch, and everybody else who's been in touch over the last week. Of course, we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and so please get in touch there as well as on the email, hello at EurotripPodcast.com. Send all your comments that way, and of course, you can leave us a review wherever you listen to podcast as well. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. It's time then to reveal this week's special guest joining us for the contest and me. Episode number three. But as James is about to call me out on, obviously you already know because it's in the title. It is in the title, so we can't really do a dramatic build-up. Uh, about who it is, but you're going to have to do it anyway. Rob, this week's guest, guest number three on the contest of me, is... Friend of the podcast, the woman we go to for all things Sweden. It is one of the English language commentators from Melfest 2021, Eurovision expert from SBT and from Swedish radio. It's only Bella Kvist, who, by the way, I would like to disclaimer didn't just get her on the podcast because I enjoy saying her surname. But Kvist is very fun. It really is. A tremendous name she has, as well as everything she has to say in the next half an hour or so, because like all the guests we have on the contest of me, uh, she has some really good tales to tell about the years and years and years she has been following and more recently working on the Eurovision Song Contest. She is, like the rest of us, a huge fan, has been for a good couple of decades or so, so we'll naturally have some good stories to tell us over the next half an hour. Yeah, with Sweden being such a powerhouse of Eurovision, it was nice to get that perspective on the contest. Naturally, we are going to be hearing a lot of stories from down the years of Swedish success at Eurovision, which, weirdly, we didn't get from our two British guests from the last fortnight or so. How bizarre. But yeah, we have some incredible stories, including my favourite bit, which is where me and Bella end up comparing Eurovision parties, which is something to look forward to. So sit back, relax, enjoy yourself. It's a very, very fun half hour. Look back, look forward, look round the houses at the history and the future of the Eurovision Song Contest. And please, of course, do let us know what you think of the episode and everything you hear. And because, James, you do it so well, do you want to tell everybody how they can get in touch for, I think, approximately since we started the podcast, the 3,492nd time you will have read out the Twitter and the Instagram handle. <laughs> yes, of course, gladly. You can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. And any of your longer form messages, we are on the email hello at EurotripPodcast.com. So for now, it is time to hear episode three, guest number three of the contest and me. Welcome, Balakvist. This is the Euro Trip. Bella Kvist, welcome to the contest and me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Bella, we will, of course, talk about so much over the next little while, but we always start, we have to, because what are we now? A couple of months, crazily, uh, ago was the final of Eurovision 2021. What were your thoughts on the 2021 edition? A Eurovision unlike anything we've seen before. Definitely. Um, I mean, I have so many thoughts. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I mean, the fact that it even happened. I was, you know, for so long, I didn't even dare to believe they would actually go ahead. And then it did. And the fact that there was an audience, I knew that I would be sort of in awe of the fact that there was an audience and that it would 
bring something extra to the competition. But I think after a year and a bit of just not having seen that kind of thing and the fact that I just love going to concerts and Eurovision in general, um, it made it that much extra special. And I, I just couldn't anticipate what it sort of brought. Uh, it, it really made such a difference having, you know, as I did, sat and watched all the rehearsals ahead of it and all the different bloggers going over every minute, you know, little detail. Um, and then thinking you sort of knew what was going to happen. I, I thought, you know, I know the, the acts and I know what will happen. But no, it made such a difference with that audience there. And I was just blown away. I did uh, like live commenting uh, during the show on uh, the Melo de Samans app, the Swedish Melody Festival and app. Um, so I was, I think if anyone followed me there, they would have seen how excited I was. There were lots of exclamation marks and um, emojis, very worthy winners as well. It was so difficult ahead of it to say who I thought was going to win. But then when they stood there as winners, I thought it was obvious that they should have won. And I think they also just symbolized the sort of almost like a new wave of Eurovision, like this youthful, you know, queer sort of open vibe. I think they really brought a new audience to Eurovision or maybe since the new audience has discovered um, Eurovision. Um, Moneskin actually performed at like the Swedish TV show uh, a few, well, maybe like a few weeks ago now. And it was absolutely mental. It was sold out and all these, you know, kids were at the front and I've never seen that for like Eurovision act before. So I think they've definitely brought something new to the contest. The pictures, I think I'm right in saying it was uh, when Maneskin in Gothenburg, the pictures were just incredible. You know, the lines and lines and lines, as you said, of young people just waiting mm. to see them it was nuts. People absolutely love them, including myself. And I think, yeah, it, it's just I'm really excited for next year's comp contest and to see, you know, I feel like they've upped it all, if it was even possible, to up it all another level and to see what happens next year. Um, I'm, I just can't wait. And the fact that, you know, they've done so well in the charts everywhere, including the UK, I feel like maybe this will be an incentive again <laughs> and maybe be inspired, you know. Of course, we'll talk about the UK and Eurovision and the future a little bit later on. Uh, before we get on to all of the interesting answers that I can't wait to hear from you, I have to ask, of course, you are in Sweden. You said you've done, uh, you did some work on the contest, of course, for uh, Melfest and for SVT. And we know that you were the English language, one of the English language commentators for the Melfest final this year. Um, what was the reaction to Sweden's result in, uh, in Rotterdam? Uh, I think everyone was super proud of this. Uh, he did really well. Of course, you know, we'd all hoped he'd do better still. Uh, but he put in a solid performance and it was a really, you know, th this year was really tough. And I think everyone's super, super proud of him. He was on TV yesterday. Everyone was standing up, you know, applauding him. And um, I'm just super pleased for him. I think everyone is. Um, so just super, super proud and happy uh, with what he did. We've already looked back at 2021. We're going to look back even further now. The first question we always ask everybody on the contest and me is your very first Eurovision memory. What is it, Bella? Uh, uh, so, like, thinking back, I think we've always watched Eurovision at home. But the memory that stands out for me is when Carlotte Nilsson won with Take Me to Your Heaven. Um, that I, I watched the show together with my two best friends, both called Emily. And uh, when she won, we just met, you know, 
opened all the windows and shouted out into the streets and it was it's such an, a brilliant um, night and uh, just a memory I'll always remember. And I think that's when things, even though I was a big fan before, that's when it really brought something uh, to life in me. <laughs> for a kiss that keeps me warm and tender Seven steps to heaven show the way When I'm there Yeah, super proud of, you know, to be a Swede and that we won the Eurovision Song Contest. And I loved the song and I thought she was great. Uh, so I think that's my first, like, big memory of it, other than watching it at home with my parents and singing along and dancing along. I always had this dream that I wanted to perform myself one day. And, uh, you know, thankfully that's never going to happen. But uh... <laughs> there's still time. You never know. There's still still time. At that point as well, were you excited or did you even comprehend, obviously just watching, that Sweden would then get to host the next year, which obviously even at that point would be really exciting? Yeah, I think I think that would have been part of the excitement because I did I did go to the rehearsals next year with my mum and my sister and we watched it in Globen and that was just amazing to be able to do that. And thinking back to me, it's just, I mean, of course we went and did that, but it, it must have been that I don't think my sister is as big a fan as I am. So I think definitely I had something to do with the fact that we went to see those rehearsals and it was absolutely brilliant. And definitely, I think that, you know, gave me an idea of what, you know, what Eurovision is all about, that big show with all those people and all the countries coming together in a, to see it, you know, live definitely brought a new dimension to it. Um, so, yeah, but then it sadly took a long time before I got to do that again um so I, I moved to the uk much later after school and realized that in the uk people were not as big fans of the contest as in sweden as i just took for granted everyone loves eurovision um sadly that's not the case in the uk i found out and i think somewhere along the lines somewhere you know somewhere along there um i realized that as i always went on about eurovision to my friends that there's also got this big queer following. And I was starting to come to terms with my sexuality and realizing that I'm queer and um, getting a girlfriend and all these things. And that all my friends in the sort of LGBT community, well, not all of them, but many of them were big fans of Eurovision as well. And they just became this big uh, family almost. And it's sort of, that brought another sort of layer and dimension to it again for me to feel that, you know, I was really part of this this thing that really welcomed me as you know who, who for who I am I never felt that with sports or anything else so I think for me that made it extra special and important and you know made me an even bigger fan of Eurovision. And I think exactly what you've just said there when especially here in the UK when people knock the contest mm. they don't understand the layers that the layers of connection, the layers of relationship that people have with the contest, like you've just said there, for the queer community, Eurovision is not a music contest. You know, it's so much more than that. It's it's a celebration. It's it's a time when you can be yourself. And when you're celebrated for being you and and the whole purpose of the contest is to to show you know different acts different and, and difference is really at the core of it and that's what's celebrated whether it's the fact that you're from a different country or a different music style or age you know sex religion right you know everything is 
it's just celebrated. And I and and we've also had many prolific acts and and winners uh, from the LGBT community. And uh, I think that's definitely what you know has drawn me to it even more. The fact that and um, it's definitely not something that's talked down, you know, about or you know, as you, as you the experiences you may have in your ordinary life as you are outside of the Eurovision bubble don't really happen there instead you're celebrated and as you say it's a big it's a big party in a big warm bubble <laughs> so yeah the, the the Eurovision blues after Eurovision is always very real sadly moving on then we've had your first Eurovision memory and I mean this this is difficult to differ- differentiate these two answers the moment that you first fell in love with the contest oh my goodness that is such a difficult question um it probably was uh finding that queer family and that connection i couldn't put you know my finger on when exactly this happened but um yeah definitely just finding um friends through the contest and also realizing that uh, all these people that I already knew I liked also loved this as much and just um, having that sense of community and family and also you know being um, a foreigner living in the UK um, to it was not always you know uh, I'm not saying I in any way sort of struggled with that but it's it, it was lovely and, and wonderful to find that sort of sense of community in this other country that I lived in and to feel uh, part of that, you know, part of part of this thing um, with these other people. I think that's what really made me fall in love with it. There's, of course, so many acts, so many years, you know, Lordy winning. I mean, there, there's so many things that spoke to me as a, you know, a pop fan, but also a metal fan. The fact that there's so many different genres uh, I've always really enjoyed that as well. Not one of my questions, but I'm just interested. The best Eurovision party you had when you were in the UK? Oh, well, without a doubt, uh, when I turned 25, um, we had a big party at my friend Laura's house. Uh, my flat was too small. Uh, she lived in like a semi-detached terrace house in Sheffield. And I invited absolutely everyone I knew this was um, 2012, um, so I knew we had a big chance of doing well with Lorien, um, and I was a big fan of hers already before. So I invited everyone to, my, my friend Laura um, was very kind and said, we can all be at mine. Don't think she 100% realized how many people I'd invited. And we all sat in the living room and, um, yeah, I, 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 thinking back, I think I probably spoke very little to everyone who was there because I sat right in front of the, of the TV and uh, asked everyone to be quiet the whole time because I wanted to see the, the show. And the more, you know, time went on and realised more and more that Lorraine was going to win. And very finally, 12 points go to Sweden. Thank you, Ireland. The winner of the Eurovision Song Contest 2012 is Sweden! With Euphoria! Congratulations! Big, big congratulations! 
I don't have so many memories of the party as such because I think I pretty much just ran up to go to the loo or get a drink and then I was so invested in the show um but it was still the most amazing party and then afterwards we all got in, in taxis and went down to the local gay club and uh I think I brought my Sweden flag along and um I went up and asked the DJ could you please play Euphoria because we just won thinking that he wouldn't know and he was like yeah of course and <laughs> we danced along the whole night yeah so that was definitely an amazing Eurovision uh, night that I'll never forget <laughs> turning 25 and uh, Lorien winning Eurovision you just talking about everybody crammed into you know like a, a house watching Eurovision and as a Eurovision party just gave me flashbacks to, to 2017 we were in our share house uh, yeah. so obviously that's the year that uh, Ukraine hosted it we were really excited because I think we thought Lucy Jones might do really well for the UK. Yeah. But we hadn't thought about the fact because we had um, one of these aerials, not even a proper aerial for the TV, just one that sits on top of the TV. And we hadn't thought about the fact that if we filled the room with loads of people, the signal might not work really well. So everybody turns up. We go to put Eurovision on at eight o'clock and the picture was awful. So at this point, I'm stressing out because I realise I'm going to miss some of the songs because we can't see anything. And I think that what we ended up doing is we ended up moving the television, putting the area, resting the TV on the drying rack in the kitchen and putting the aerial on a stool in the garden and just praying it didn't rain so that we could just <laughs> see Eurovision. And because we'd moved the telly into the kitchen, the kitchen obviously even smaller than the living room, honestly, yeah. it was about 25, 30 people in this tiny share house kitchen. <laughs> the things you do for Eurovision. Absolutely. And yes, so many times, so many people crammed in. Although I will say after that, I think Amiga got a bit more picky, a bit more, you know, with hosting Eurovision parties, it's very important that everyone there actually wants to watch the contest. And because otherwise, yeah, it can get a bit tricky when you're constantly asking people to be quiet and they think you're being a bit annoying but actually this is the most important thing in the world so please be quiet uh, <laughs> 100%. I think everybody listening to this can absolutely relate to what you've just said moving on to and this is I mean we ask these questions I don't know what my answer to this would be your favorite Eurovision year oh my goodness um it's I've thought about this because it's such a difficult question Ugh, and there are so many but I'm gonna have to say 2016 uh, when it was in Stockholm and um, because that was the first time that I was there um, as a as a journalist um, I had the you know I had backstage access or well, the press center and um, I spent the week basically there and uh, getting to know lots of people there and went to Euro Club and experienced all these things that um you know are also part of Eurovision when you're a big fan or can be um so that was just absolutely brilliant uh, but also I thought the whole show the production I think they did that so so well and watched it back last year I think when Eurovision again did it and I still think it's brilliant the whole show um I loved so many of the acts and I still listen to them now and uh Pietra and Mons, uh, we're just absolutely amazing. Peace, peace, love, love is, I mean, is the Eurovision classic to this day, I'd say. So that whole year was just phenomenal. And it, the, the weather was absolutely amazing here in Stockholm. And they had the big Euro club set up just um, below the castle in Stockholm. And um, it was just, the whole city was alive with Eurovision and Oh, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, so loved 2016. Also, 
2018 in Lisbon I was there with my friends and that was also again such a great year and many memories of sort of yeah partying along in, in the Lisbon plaza where they had the big screen and ah oh, yeah just so many wonderful memories. <laughs> just jealous of you talking about the great weather that you had because the the one Eurovision and I can't believe I've only been to one Eurovision in person so far was in Vienna in 2015 and it rained mm. for the entire week. Oh yeah. <laughs> but Eurovision was on so it was fine you know oh, it was fine. Yeah. Mons won, my favourite song won that year, it was all fine, <laughs> I didn't mind. <laughs> Which seems like the perfect segue then to your favourite Eurovision song. We've had your favourite year. What's your favourite song? Well, it's got to be Euphoria with Lorian. I, to this day, get, you know, like goosebumps when I hear that first start of the song, uh, whether it's the, you know, the radio version or the album version. Um, I absolutely love that song. And it's like, whenever it comes on, it makes me happy. many memories with with friends dancing along to that song in various gay clubs across Europe uh, and um, absolutely love it I, I remember one time we were at the the Royal uh, Vauxhall Tavern in London and uh, we just got there me and my friends and we we're putting our coats in there in the wardrobe and I, I heard the start of of Euphoria, but it was like the album version, which starts with a little bit like of a orchestral start with the violence. And I said to Andy, I think my good friend said, uh, "Oh my God, it's Euphoria!" And everyone was like, "What? Are you sure? Because it's not got that, mm, you know, mm. alarm thing." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it definitely is." Chucked our um, jackets in and ran to the dance floor. And yeah, and um, yeah, I just that song means so much to me. Um, just because of all the yeah memories with friends, I think. Um, and I've met Lorianne a couple of times and she's she's brilliant as well. Really funny. Um, last time I met her, she said she'd DM me on Insta, still waiting to, for that to happen. How long have you been waiting for the DM now? <laughs> um, December last year, yeah. She said she's right into my DMs, still not happened. I mm. think you've got till <laughs> December this year at least. <laughs> I, I mean, give her a year. She's busy. She's got things on. She's busy. You know, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether you, I don't know whether you've ever heard the same story um, about Loreen because I heard her talk about this um, when she did a, a special music mix, I think, for BBC Radio Two in the UK this year. Mm -hmm. She said that just before she went on during the final in 2012 to sing Euphoria, and obviously you've got the confetti that comes down during that song. And she said a bit of confetti had come down, and she'd got it stuck in the back of her throat. So actually, if you listen really carefully, and I, I've been on YouTube and checked this out, at the very start of Euphoria, if it wasn't for, you know, like you said, such a big note, you can hear her in the background just go, <coughs> she's popping into the microphone. And I'm like, what? how stressful must that be, knowing that you're the favourite that year? You know, yeah. all, the, all the eyes are on you and there you are just trying to get some confetti out the back of your throat. Oh my God. No, I had not heard that. That's amazing. And that's part of, again, like, you know, the live aspect to the show is so important and you can never predict what's going to happen. Like we couldn't do this year um, and I thought that was so interesting in one of your shows that you did recently where you interviewed a Swedish backing vocalist I forgot her name now Dia uh, Norberg and she was saying about how they had some technical difficulties with 
you know, the in-ear hearing and all these things. You just never know what's going to happen. Of course, that was just your during rehearsals. So it was fine. But yeah, that's so interesting. I'll have to, uh, if I ever meet her again, I'll have two things to say. Hey, <laughs> my DM and two, can you tell me more about the concert? Make sure you ask about the DM first, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> so we've done favourite year. We've done favourite song. We've done loads of great stuff already. Most memorable, and you've got so many already, so I don't know how you're going to pick one. Most memorable Eurovision moment. Is it? Is it Euphoria? Is it Lorene's win? It, it will be. Yeah, it definitely uh, will be. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant this year to do get to do the live commenta- commentating of Melody Festivalen and to uh, do the stuff at SVT around Eurovision was an absolute dream come true for me. My big dream is to one day commentate the whole show. Uh, so uh, hoping that will happen one day. But that aside, absolutely. Yeah, when... when uh, when um, Lorraine won that was just I will never forget that night it was so special <laughs> Let, let's go back to to March and you doing the the English language commentary on the Melody Festival and final because as you've said it's the first time that SVT had ever done it mm. what was it like firstly to be asked and then just what was that whole night like because as a fan and that's come across already you know how big a fan you are you know what a special thing that you managed to get to do yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was crazy to get that. Uh, it was an email actually, and it was I got I checked my email. It was on the weekend for some reason, and he emailed me. And uh, it was about an hour away from organising my sister's um, baby shower, like a digital baby shower <laughs> during the pandemic. And I got this email, and I just freaked out and thought, Oh my god, I'm gonna have to put my phone down. I cannot take in this information <laughs> right now because I'm organising this thing. So I had to just like put it aside, try to breathe. And then just kind of, I think I rang uh, one friend and said, oh my God, and then put it aside. And then uh, did the baby shower and then picked up again. I went, am I really reading this right? They're considering doing this English live commentary and would I be interested? And um, yeah, crazy. And uh, it was it was so, I mean, I'm just, I, yeah, really, really happy that they asked me and, um, and they sort of asked, oh, you know, um, if I had any suggestions or who I might want to do it with. And um, Olivia, of course, came to mind because uh, I that is another brilliant Eurovision memory, meeting Olivia for the first time, Olivia Le Podemois from the BBC. Uh, at the time, she was, I think, with ESC United uh, doing YouTube stuff for them. Um, and she, uh, her and I would met on Twitter talking about Eurovision and sort of queer stuff I think I'd written an article for the Guardian about being bisexual or something and uh, she'd sort of messaged me about it and we talked about that and uh, and about uh, our love for Eurovision and then we finally got to meet in the press center in Stockholm 2016 that was magical as, as well and I think all these sort of stories that come to mind or the, the moments that are so um, you know most important to me around Eurovision are always around the people and the sort of community and, and the fans uh, around Eurovision, because they're they really what make it, um, you know. So yeah, that was that was wonderful. So yeah, to get to, to do the live commentary with Olivia was magical and, and she's such a pro and uh, oh my goodness, uh, she taught me so much. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really, really fun. And the night itself, because it was um, the pandemic, um, we sat, oh, I sat, in basically not the cellar but like this corridor 
uh, I was part of the big arena. Um, so I wasn't actually in the room where the concert was taking place. Um, in a little room, I didn't see anyone for the whole time. I just, I think there was a couple of cleaners who walked past and then sort of waved and smiled. But uh, sat there with my laptop with Olivia on Zoom, as well as in um, our, the phone line thing that set up for us to hear each other. And uh, we had our script up and, you know, uh, we'd been through it many times, but we still, of course, some things happen live that you don't expect. And it was, uh, it was super, super fun. And we were dancing along during the songs. And then uh, it was just crazy, especially that one segment. Uh, they're like, I don't know if, if you remember, but the segment where they sort of said goodbye to Christa Bjergman, there was sort of a song dedicated to him that Edward of Cillian had written that number, I think. And that was very difficult to try and translate because I wasn't new, there was a slight delay and we'd had some audio issues as well. So I still haven't dared listen back to that. Tusse eller Erik, nu ska det avgöras. Tusse får. <laughs> but it was super fun and I got to talk about anal fistulas on national TV which is something that I've tried to forget but just came back to me that that actually happened yeah um so, a career highlight <laughs> yeah highlight uh, because that was in the script but no it was super super fun uh, and it felt really surreal after it was all done and you know uh because the whole, when they gave the points as well, there was a slight delay, uh, I think, to, we had the sort of live, live feed. And then there was a slight delay, I mean, seconds going out. And the room next to me had the sort of delay. So I would keep hearing in my ears the right number or, you know, the scores. And then I'd hear a slight second later from the other room, them getting this. So it was, yeah, a lot to bear in mind to say the right number great scores and everything but it was fine and then yeah just shutting down the laptop and going okay thanks Ben and then just packing up my things and leaving it's very surreal hopefully if we get to do it again next year we can maybe you know be in person because of course Olivia was in London um and do it live that way but we'll see what happens oh well fingers crossed SVT if you're listening we'd love to have it again in 2022 that would be brilliant so, ah, oh, I definitely hope it happens. This is quite the gear change because we've just spoken, of course, about Melody Festival and about Sweden, about how much your country loves Eurovision so very, very much and how successful you've been. Of course, we've already spoken about Mons and Lorene and you spoke about Charlotte's win in 1999. So naturally then, you're the perfect person to ask with your extensive history, of course, as well as watching Eurovision in the UK. If you were the UK's head of delegation, Bella, how would you change their approach to the contest? Because it can't go any worse next year. But what would you do? Oh, this is such a difficult question. I've been really thinking about what to try and say here. And I don't really have an answer. I mean, I think the key is getting people to care about it generally in the UK, because there's a big community that really does and who 
I think so much could be done to cater to that community and to gauge with that community. There's so many people in the UK who love the Eurovision Song Contest, but I feel like a lot more could be done to talk to that audience and to engage that audience. Uh, but also beyond that, uh, the wider audience who my impression is that in the UK, the Eurovision is seen as a bit of a laugh and something that you sort of laugh at uh, and that, um, I, uh, and again, this year I was on a local BBC um, radio um, show the day after the Eurovision and was asked, you know, why did the UK do so badly? And I always get that question every year and I always dread it because I feel it's difficult to answer because I feel like this act has been, he's done his absolute best. He did it brilliantly. And I think he took it all so well and I, I think that all of you know Euro the Eurovision community really embraced him and he embraced the contest and having sort of been in it two years in a way also I think he's absolutely brilliant but at the same time it didn't do well sadly he got zero points and so there's lessons to be learned as well about maybe sending something um, else and it's difficult to say but the UK has such a, I mean there's so much good music produced in the UK in so many different genres why not send something completely different that's not just a sort of nice pop song uh, because that's what you need at Eurovision you need something that stands out and uh, sadly this song as lovely as it was and I really enjoyed his song last year actually um, didn't do that it didn't stand out enough and I also think it's a shame that the, the act is just announced Be, you know coming from Sweden where we have this big I was about to say circus, but you know, six weeks of primetime television on the Saturday night, uh, choosing our act. Everyone's involved. Everyone has an opinion whether they like it or not. Everyone's involved. I don't know. I don't have any answers, but I feel like you need to engage more <laughs> somehow. 100%, 100%. But that, you know, what you've just said there is a perfect encapsulation of of the difficulty the BBC have got because it's, it's, it is so difficult. But We've seen many countries struggle for many years and then we've seen them come back. You know, France this year and, and Switzerland as well in the past. And mm. I'm sure the BBC in the UK's time will come. I'll always remember the year when we sent Jade and we finished fifth. I mean, yeah. lit, Little did I know then that that would be the, you know, the best in the last, what what is that now, 12, 12 years. But yeah, <laughs> I, you know, just... I would give anything to have that feeling back of the UK doing really well on the Saturday night and not having the fear of mm. the next day, you know, not having the fear of the Sunday and all of those questions about why the UK didn't do very well. Yeah, because sadly it often comes with the sort of, people often add the thing that, oh, Europe hates us, which I think is such a... Uh, it's a lazy, it's a lazy stereotype, I think. Yeah, because it's absolutely not true. <laughs> So it's, um, yeah, it's a difficult one. It is. It's really tough. It's really, really tough. Um, you've done very well to answer some very difficult questions so far. Um, I've only got one left, uh, which is, what change would you like to see in the contest going forward? We love Eurovision, of course, for, for, for everything that, that it is now. But if you could make it a little bit better or make a change to it, what would that be? Oh, this isn't you have so many difficult questions but this is good um I don't know what I thought I thought this year was you know the only moment that I thought was a bit of a difficult one and a bit of a shame was of course when they announced the zero points uh, in that way 
it just felt so heartbreaking after what had been a, a night of celebration of, of different types of music. And of course, you can't change the fact that they got zero points, but I wonder, I wonder whether it could be presented in a different way that doesn't feel so harsh and so, yeah, personal. We'll begin with the country that is now in last place. That is United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom gets from the public zero points. And Germany has received from the public zero points. I'm sorry. And the public points going to Spain are another zero points. The Netherlands, you have received from the public zero points. I, I don't know how to do it, but I feel like this new, uh, the, the new way of, of presenting the, the votes is really good because it makes great television and it makes it really exciting at the end. But at the same time, it's so harsh on those on those acts that get zero points or very few points. So, yeah, I think that's the one thing that I would think about maybe to reconsider. I don't know. I, again, I don't have an answer. Do you, do you think, this is just a, a follow-up question, do you think it's right that we have that split of televote and jury vote? Do you think that's kind of a, a good route that, that Eurovision has gone down and has gone down now for, you know, quite a long time? Um, yeah, I think it works well. Of course, we do that at Melo, Melody Festival as well. Um, so kind of so used to it now in a way. But um, yeah, I think it's nice to know who the, who the public voted for. If, but that also creates the awkwardness then if it's if that is not the winner if you know the one with the biggest um votes from from the audience does not win as i suppose was the case with um well two years ago now but that was he in duncan lawrence was not the audience or the jury winner so i suppose in a way that was perfect because he was the you know com combined winner um yeah i don't know what do you think I think it works really well, but I think the jury should be bigger. I don't, I, I don't know. It seems nuts to me that like 20% of a country's total score is reliant on like one person or something. That's true. Yeah. When you see how, how small the jury is and yeah, that they might have. Yeah, that's true. Why not, you know, more styles of music maybe, you know, yeah. differences or yeah. If, yeah, if you were to ask me what change would I make, it would be just make the jury a bit bigger. That would be mine. But I don't know. I'm not in that position. That's not it's not my responsibility. Um, last question. We've got through our, our long list. I'm going to let you go. Uh, hopes and dreams for Sweden, for Melody Festival in 2022. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just hope that we'll be able to have as great a contest as we had last year. And I just can't wait to see what acts we have. I hope that we get to do the English commentary again. And that I think it's really lovely to bring in that international community into Melfest because it has grown to sort of be a big uh, fan favourite in other countries than just Sweden. And so I hope that that happens. And um, I, I don't know, I just, I just 
want us to have a great selection of great songs and and to enjoy them and then hopefully pick uh, another Eurovision winner. Bellacvist, thank you so much for joining us on the contest of me. Thank you for having me. A big thanks to Bella Christ for joining us here on The Contest and Me, ending there by looking ahead to Melfest 2022. And honestly, that will be here before we know it, because these days and weeks and months are ticking off just very, very quickly. I can't wait for Eurovision 2022 season to kick off, and it is when the artists start to get announced for Melfest, where it starts to really feel real again, isn't it? It certainly is. I hope, by the way, that you have got, I think it's probably the second Saturday in March free, uh, because off air, um, away from from the recording, I may have attempted to arrange some sort of gathering involving me and you and Bella in Stockholm. I hope that sounds okay with you. It's very presumptive of me, but I imagine that would be a good old time for all involved. That works for me. I'll be there. So long as we're allowed to travel again come March next year, I am ready because, actually, funnily enough, we both went to the Melfest final in 2019 separately. We never met up that year, did we? But I would love to do it all again. This is where, we must have told this story on the podcast before, this is where you accused me of blanking you, right? No, that's not the accusation. We'd met very briefly once beforehand, um, I think it was about a year beforehand, and I remember leaving the venue um, that they host the Melfest final in, and I remember seeing you, and I thought, oh, there's Rob. But what if Rob doesn't remember who I am? I don't have the confidence to go up and say hello to him. So I just sort of left it and then maybe a couple of years later went, by the way, Rob, I saw you once. (laughs) We've sort of forgotten that Bella Christ has just joined us on the podcast. What a woman she is. So many lovely stories she had to say um, to us there about her two decades or so of loving the Eurovision Song Contest. I wasn't wrong, was I? It was a very entertaining look back, look forward, journey through Sweden in recent decades at the Eurovision Song Contest. Really important conversation about sexuality as well. Thank you to Bella for being so open, so honest, and just so lovely. We will definitely get her back on the podcast when we've got Melfest things to chat about. And and as, as we say, maybe we will bring you a chat between me, James and Bella from Stockholm next year that is something to very much aim towards but a huge thank you to you two for for being here for another week of the contest of me and thank you for listening along always a pleasure to have you listening along and getting in touch with us uh, whenever you've been listening we will of course be back again with another episode next week episode number four guest number four uh, who i promise you will have some more great stories to tell and particularly around the BBC's approach to the Eurovision Song Contest. He has some great opinions. Well, I said he, so you know it's going to be a man. But he definitely has some great ideas about what the BBC in the UK should do to change its approach to the contest. I think we've all got some opinions, but he was very vocal with his. So look forward to those next week. And we said it last week, or rather I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. If you want to leave us a review, please do we would love you to because it means a lot to me and james because it shows that you care about the podcast it shows that you're listening it means a lot because we put a lot of time into this podcast because we love doing it and because we know and because we love knowing that you are out there listening but it also helps other people find the podcast as well if you uh, pop on there on apple Podcasts, if you leave us a review we would be forever in your debt press the five star button and then type out a little message just to explain 
why you listen and how much you love it. That would honestly mean the world to us. And as we say, help so many other Eurovision fans come along with us for the ride. The ride. Very, very good. I, I said that. And as soon as I said it, I thought there's going to be a Rafale reference here. Before we say goodbye, and we are going to say goodbye in approximately 20 seconds time. But James, Miles in Cologne, have you heard anything from him? I've still not heard anything. Miles in Cologne. Well, hope you're doing well. But I'd love to know if you got the uh, the Eurovision sweepstake box that I spent a lot of time packing up and sending away. Uh, would love to know that you got it, and would love to know that you enjoy the prize that you won. Oh, it's time for us to go, isn't it? Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next Wednesday. Don't forget to stay across our socials. We do all sorts of fun stuff on there. We'll have some videos of the chat with Bella as well on Twitter and Instagram at Eurotrip Podcast. And if you want to send us an email, hello at EurotripPodcast.com. But until next week, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.